Well, welcome back once again to our study of the book of Proverbs. And we're in chapter six, and we're going to be studying today rash decisions. Now, I want us to remember the context, all right, of chapter six. So there's rashness, slothfulness, wickedness, unfaithfulness. Now, some of these, they don't seem that dangerous, do they? It's just kind of reckless. Or, you know, like I said, people joke about being lazy. Did you know that in the early church, laziness was considered one of the seven cardinal or deadly sins? They made a list of seven sins that were kind of like the, um, the foundation or the uh, fountainhead of all other sin. And um, slothfulness, laziness is not something to joke about. It is a uh, manifestation of our fallen nature. It is quite depraved. So young people, when we get to slothfulness, you really need to take it seriously because it has uh, wide ranging implications, doesn't it? Like cleaning up your room or washing dishes or mowing the yard or doing your schoolwork. It's not just a, a funny thing like you would see in a comedy. It's a dangerous thing. So we have, again, uh, rashness, slothfulness, wickedness, and unfaithfulness. So now we're gonna look at, at rashness and particularly with becoming a, a surety. Now that means um, you become, you, you make yourself something of a pledge, guaranteeing the financial promises of another person. So let's look at it. He says in verse one, my son, if you have become surety for your neighbor, have given a pledge for a stranger. If you've been snared with the words of your mouth, have been caught with the words of your mouth, do this then, my son, deliver yourself. Since you have come into the hand of your neighbor, go, humble yourself and importune your neighbor. Give no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hunter's hand, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. All right, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, again, I come before you, and this is a serious matter. I pray for all the young people who might be listening, Lord, to this, this teaching. Oh, dear God, please help them. Strengthen them. Cause them to know Christ, to know him early, to know his word, to cultivate the mind of Christ, that they might escape the contamination and the constant, uh, constant dangers of this world. And oh God, please help us now to teach on, on this subject that is rarely spoken of among young people. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in uh, verse one, he says, my son, if you have become surety for your neighbor. Now, what does that mean? Well, I want to read something to you that I wrote. If you have rashly and without investigation, that means you've done something quickly, you haven't thought about it, and also young people, listen, you haven't asked for counsel, okay? So you have rashly, without investigation, without asking for counsel, you've pledged yourself to pay for your neighbor's debt if he defaults, if he fails to make the payment. 
And the Bible, throughout the book of Proverbs, we can see it's a very dangerous and risky thing to do. It doesn't mean that we never help someone, but it means we do so with a great amount of discernment, counsel, slowness. Now, and remember what I said, young people, um, because there's something of a self-love, we want people to like us. And so when people ask things of us, a lot of times we want to do it, not necessarily out of kindness, but because we want people to think well of us. Well, what we need to do is not be driven by something like that. We don't need to be driven by emotion, but we need to be driven by the principles of God's word. Now, here's the problem. If you look very, very closely, remember what I taught you about Hebrew parallelisms. Remember, I know that's a big phrase, but it's very important that the Bible will say something and then the very next phrase, it'll say the same thing using a little bit different language to add emphasis. So he first calls them your neighbor. Okay, so it seems that you should want to help your neighbor, right? Because, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. But then it refers to the neighbor also as a stranger, as a stranger. Now, what does that mean? Well, we don't know exactly, but there are three really good possibilities, and all of them apply. The first is the neighbor is a person who is relatively unknown to you. You don't know them. You see, they may be a neighbor, but you have no idea who they are. In our modern society, that's very, very possible, isn't it? We live in gated communities, or at least some people do. Or you live beside somebody for 20 years and you really do not know who they are. And so just because someone is in close proximity to you doesn't mean they are truly and really your neighbor. Now, another possibility is since the word stranger is used, it's referring to a person who's living outside the norms of, uh, of convention. Now, what does that mean? They're a moral misfit in the community. They have a really bad reputation. Maybe they, they don't keep their word, or maybe they're lazy. And maybe that's why they're asking for your help. And so neighbor here could mean someone who is strange to you because they are, in a sense, morally estranged from God. Now, um, the New English translation puts it this way in their notes. A stranger is a high risk in any circumstance, but especially in a financial arrangement. Now, let's just stop here for a moment. You know, um, some people, you know, they, they talk about, you know, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. I want you to know something. Um, I got a degree from the University of Texas in business. And uh, I can tell you that most of the people who really strive and do well in business, even if they don't know it, are practicing certain biblical principles. It's true. Uh, let me give you an example. The Bible teaches hard work. Work hard. And if you find most people who are prosperous, they work a lot more than you do. I mean, some people think if they've worked 40 hours a week, they've done something. That's, not, that's, just, that's just put you one kind of step above not being lazy, okay? People who are very successful work very hard, and it's a biblical 
principle. People who are successful, even in the world, that don't even believe in God, they're successful because they tell the truth. They keep their commitments. And so what I want you to see is that as we study the Bible, this is not just about um, some mystical spirituality. No, it's about God's truth to govern your life in every aspect of your life. Now let's go on. Thirdly, a neighbor may be a foreigner in this instance, because in Proverbs 20:16 it says, take his garment when he becomes a pledge or a surety for a stranger and for foreigners hold him in pledge. Remember how I said the last word defines the first? So it may be referring to someone, not necessarily from another country, okay? I have a lot of friends from a lot of countries and they're very trustworthy. But what it's talking about is someone outside of the community of faith. So if you have uh, an Israelite who's been trained all his life that uh, you shall not steal, and it's ingrained in him, and he gets in a business relationship with a pagan who thinks that, wow, if you can get away with it, stealing is actually something to boast about. So you want to be careful in every one of your relationships and your friendships, not only with regard to the horizontal, how do they relate to you, but how do they relate to God? I've often said, if someone will not be faithful to the God who supplies every beat of their heart, every breath, they won't be faithful to him. They're probably not gonna be faithful to me in a relationship, okay? So now let's go on. And I want to point out something. I've already mentioned this. It's not always morally wrong or foolish to help someone out. Okay? It's not always morally wrong to even vouch for someone and to put yourself in a situation where you may have to pay a debt to, for someone. But there's always a risk. There's always a risk. Now, I want to give you a few principles here that I think are very, very important. Because remember, my job is not to get you through the book of Proverbs as fast as I possibly can. My job is to teach you something. So when should we help someone? Well, there's a principle actually in the New Testament in 1 John 3, 17, and I'm just going to read it to you. He says, but whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Now, the key phrase here, young person, very key, is the word see. He sees his brother in need. And here is a very special Greek word that is used, theoreo. Okay, has kind of a rhythm to it, doesn't it? And it doesn't mean just see the need. It means to be a spectator of it, of it to observe it to watch it and contemplate it, to verify it, okay? Uh, some really good uh, Greek scholars, Lawanita, they define it this way, to observe something continuously and with great attention. And so what are you doing? You're investigating. And maybe you're not just investigating yourself, but you're also asking for what? Uh, can you give me a resume of people? Can you give me a list of people that I can call to talk about your faithfulness, to talk about your lifestyle? Do you see? So you're, you're observing and you're validating it really is 
a need. It really is a need. I, uh, when I was in seminary, I worked with a lot of street people and drug addicts and alcoholics. I even lived down at the street mission. And there probably wasn't a day that went by that someone didn't say to me who was begging on the street, can you give me a dollar? Um, and you say, well, did you give him a dollar? Well, I knew what was going on. If I gave him a dollar, they would use it to go buy drugs. So I would say, would you like to go eat with me? And you know what? When I would ask a lot of people, look, I'm not going to give you money, but if you're hungry, I'll take you to eat. They would get mad at me and cuss me out. See, you have to verify the need. Now, there's another principle that is in, in Philemon, and it's re regarding, you know, Onesimus, the slave who had run away. And Paul writes this in Philemon 18 and 20. Um, if he has wronged you, or I'm, I'm sorry, it's written to Philemon about Onesimus. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, look at me, I am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. Now, here's something I want you to realize. Paul makes a pledge. He's already decided. He's made this pledge having decided if I have to sacrifice, if it's costly, I've decided to do it. Now, a lot of people will make a pledge, but they haven't counted the cost. They'll say, yeah, I'll help you if you get in trouble. But then the person gets in trouble and they're very angry about it and upset and they don't have the money to help them. Well, if you're going to help someone in this kind of setting, you have to realize that you're assuming the risk. Now, that's the reason why you want to check this out. You want to observe it. You want to study it. You want to get counsel, not just to protect yourself. But remember, if you do have the money to help them, it's not your money. Who gave you that money? God gave you that money. So you're only a steward of that money and you do not need to use it unwisely. So if God gave me money to live down at the street mission and I take that money and give it to a person unwisely and they use it to buy drugs, that's not good stewardship. I need to study the situation to verify what is truly going on. So do you understand that? All right, let's go on. You can do it. But you have to count the cost and you have to do it with a great deal of wisdom and having studied the situation. Also, always get counsel, get counsel. Now, let's look at the danger as it's illustrated. He says this in verses two and three. If you have been snared with the words of your mouth, have been caught with the words of your mouth, do this, my son, and deliver yourself since you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Now, first of all, it says you have been ensnared and you have been caught. Now, remember, in the wisdom literature, what's going on? He's repeating himself. He's just using different terminology. And why is he doing it? He's to say, look, this is dangerous. You can get ensnared. You can get caught. Now, many of you probably have, you know, young people, you've lived in the city. Uh, you didn't do a lot of trapping when you were younger. I did. Um, I was always out in the woods. I was hunting, fishing, and, and sometimes I would run traps. I'd catch animals. All right. Now, what he's saying here is imagine this being caught like an animal in a, in a trap or in a snare. 
Now on some of these snares, a limb is bent over with a trigger, and then you have, you have a loop, and that animal walks by. It's only for small animals. And, and it catches their foot, and it yanks them up, maybe five, six, 10 feet in the air. They're hanging now, okay? The trap's been sprung, and they're hanging. Now imagine the terror of that animal hanging there, usually overnight. Man checks his traps, you know, in the morning, hanging there overnight. But then imagine him hanging there, that animal, and he smells the hunter, because he smells the hunter a lot, a long time before he sees him. He hears the steps, and then he sees him, and he's drawing closer, and he's knowing that there's absolutely nothing he can do. I can't think of anything more terrifying. And that's what the writer of Proverbs is trying to tell you. You can get in a very dangerous situation here. You could lose your home. If you're older and you have a family, you could lose their home. You can go to jail. These are things to think about. Now, let me jump off of this into something else for just a second. Most people don't think of consequences. What is this really going to cost me? And I don't mean money. I mean, how's it going to scar my life? Do you know you can do things right now that will affect you 40 years from now? Really? And especially today, I grew up where no one was recording anybody in my grade school or my high school or my college, and I thank God they weren't. That's not the case today. There are consequences to what we do, and they can stay with us forever. Now, look at also in verse 2. So in verse 1, uh, I, I'm sorry, in, in verse uh, 2, he says you've been snared. In verse 2, he also says you've been caught. And then he says down in verse 3, you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Now, the word hand there in Hebrew, it, it doesn't mean like if I grab you like this, you know, you can probably escape. But it's literally you've come into the palm of your neighbor. Your neighbor's got a hold of you now. And there's really nowhere you can go. And you say, well, that's fearful. Yes, it is. And that's the purpose of what the Bible's saying here, and it's the purpose of what I'm doing. I want to make you afraid. You say, well, that isn't right. Of course it is. There are some things that you should be afraid of. You should be deathly afraid of them. Why? Because they will put you, grab you in the palm of their hand. Remember the illustration I've given you. So imagine, here's sin, and here's you. And someone says, don't get close to sin. Your parents say, don't get close to sin. But you go, oh, it won't, it won't bother me to get close. And then you get close. But then it starts to tempt you and you get closer. And they say, don't touch sin. And you go, well, I'm just touching it like that. That's all I'm doing. No big deal. is isn't hurting anyone. And then one day, you keep touching it. And you say, yeah, I know, I know. It's a big part of my life, but I can let go of it any time. And then sooner or later, it does this. It's got you in its palm, and there's nowhere you can go. I have lived six decades. I have seen the damage that sin can do, the damage that rash statements and promises can do. So let's go on. Now, this neighbor, because he's got you in the palm of his hand, 
Not only he's got you in the palm of his hand, others have you in the palm also because you've made a pledge to them also. Um, here's the problem. Remember, this neighbor's a stranger. You don't know who he is. And, young people, you don't know what he's going to do. You have no idea. Now, you say, well, I know him really well. Let me tell you something. I've known a lot of people really well only to find out they were completely different than what I thought. Also, in many cases, if I had observed more and if I had asked counsel of others, I would have escaped many snares. Okay? Now, verse 2, the phrase, words of your mouth. Let's look at that. If you have been snared with the words of your mouth, have been caught with the words of your mouth. Sometimes you sit there and you think, that's, that's really not good grammar. Well, God knows that. Here's the point. What God is doing is he's writing to get your attention. And in the Hebrew mind, it's repetition. It doesn't say God is holy. It doesn't say God is holy, holy. It says God is holy, holy, holy. How many times in the Bible does God say the same thing over and over again? And so here he's saying the words of your mouth to emphasize how dangerous are the words of your mouth. Our mouth can get us in more danger than you and I could ever comprehend. As a matter of fact, the Bible will teach us, and we're going to learn this later, even if you're not that smart, if you keep your mouth shut, everyone will think you're smart. Now, listen to Proverbs 21, 23. He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. His, the very essence of his life, the very center of his being, he protects that from troubles. Proverbs 13, 3, the one who guards his mouth preserves his life. The one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. You know, you see a guy that, uh, you know, he's always getting smacked in the mouth. I mean, getting punched pretty hard. And you walk up to him and go, you know, if you keep your mouth shut, you wouldn't get it hit so often. I know that sounds a little rough, but it's true. It's true. And so many people get themselves in financial binds, in, in relational binds, in everything because they speak before they think. Now, let's look at more warnings from the book of Proverbs. And this is about giving yourself as a pledge, saying, oh, if he can't pay it, I'll pay it. Well, let's look. Proverbs eleven fifteen. He who is grantor... For a stranger will surely suffer for it, but he who hates being a grantor is secure. It means you go, no way, I'm not doing it. I am not doing it. I knew a guy one time, and this is what he used to say, I don't give, I don't give uh, pledges to my enemies because they're my enemies. I don't give pledges to my friends because I don't want them to become my enemies. There's a little bit of wisdom in that. Now, we should help people. We should. Wisdom is always required. Um, I had a man one time who was a multi, 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 multi-millionaire. And he called me and um, he was sharing with me all these struggles he was having. And um, with regard to so many people asking him for money and, and, and so many things he was being drawn into. And I said, brother, first of all, you're a steward. It's God's money. Second of all, you're a new Christian. 
You need to shut the door on everyone. You don't need to give anyone anything until you grow in wisdom in the scriptures. You grow doctrinally, you grow in practical wisdom, and you learn to discern how to administer the funds that God has given you. And that's always the case. And the more that you're given, the more wisdom that you need. Um, so he goes on 17, 18, a man lacking in sense pledges and becomes a grantor in the presence of his neighbor. Proverbs 20, 16, take his garment when he becomes surety for a stranger and for foreigners hold him in pledge. Okay, so does it say that it is always wrong to help someone? No, but it is always wrong to help someone without a great deal of wisdom, without a great deal of investigation, and without a great deal of counsel. And even then, when you've, when you've crossed every T and dotted every I, know that there is a risk. Now, what should you do if you've done this? If you've made a promise that was rash and dangerous, what should you do? Well, verses three through five, he says, do this then, my son, and deliver yourself. Since you have come into the hand of your neighbor, go humble yourself and importune your neighbor. Give no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hunter's hand and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. So what do we have? First of all, in verse three, he says, go, go, get up, go, go now. Don't do it later. There's a real sense of urgency. Go immediately. All right. So would I ever yell at my seven-year-old daughter? Yeah, I would. When? Let's say the house is on fire and her other siblings are asleep and I've got her looking at the front door. I'm going to say, go now, because I got to go back and get the other children. Go now, out the door, go. And that's the idea here. Your house is burning down. This is not a time for thinking through matters. This is a time for action. He says, go, get up and go. And then he also says, humble yourself. Now, a lot of people think that... Um, well, let me, let me define the word first, but then I need to put it in context. And we're going to see that it's maybe not what you think. It says, first of all, humble yourself. Literally, trample yourself down. I mean, this is not a time for pride. This is not a time for protecting your ego, okay? We used to say, put yourself so low that you have to look up to clean the mud off your shoes. This is a time to humble yourself, to recognize I have blown it and I have blown it big time and to rectify it quickly. Then he says, importune your neighbor. Now, the idea here is not to timidly beg your neighbor. That's not what he's saying like, oh, please help me. That's not what it, that's not what the word means. It means to appeal firmly to your neighbor. The meaning is that you should be bold and not take no for an answer. Now, see, you would have thought that just if you looked at the word, humble yourself and ask, it is humble yourself, recognize to your neighbor, look, I've done wrong. 
but then say, you've got to let me out of this. And if he says, no, don't just go, oh, okay, and turn around. He says, no, you've got to fight for this. You've got to get out of this. Remember, it's just like a bird in a snare, like an animal in a trap. The hunter's coming. You've got to do something now. He says, importune your neighbor. Now, literally, you should storm against your neighbor. And I've written here, plead like you are already in the hunter's game bag and headed for slaughter. Now, do you remember there was, you know, two of every kind allowed on the ark? Well, I had a friend down, down in Alabama, and he used to say this. He said, man, you're going to have to fight. We were talking about something. I don't know what it was. He goes, man, you're going to have to fight. He says, matter of fact, you're going to have to fight like the third monkey trying to get on the ark, and it's already raining. That's what he used to say. And what it meant, you got to fight for your life. You have got to fight. And that's what it's saying here. It says fight. Uh, in the NIV, it says go to the point of exhaustion and give your neighbor no rest. And I have a, a good example here. I want to give it to you. The application is good. It's a different context, but it's in Luke 18, 2 through 5. In a certain city, there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while, he was unwilling, but afterwards he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, literally punches me under the eye. I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. She'll hit me under the eye. Do you see what I'm saying? It's talking about not, not being violent. It's not talking about entering into more sin. But it's talking about, look, you've got to get away from this. And you need to plead and you need to have tenacity. Now, in verse four, he says, give no sleep to your eyes nor slumber to your eyelids. Remember, once again, he says it twice. He's saying there is a great urgency. And what I've put here is do not concern yourself with the normal necessities of life at this point. You're in extraordinary danger. Okay? One time I was helping a friend uh, on the Amazon and he, his snake had escaped. He had trapped this big anaconda and it escaped. And I saw it down in a slough and I grabbed it. Well, when I grabbed it, it grabbed me back. And I had no idea of the strength. And that thing's mouth opened up and it came right at my face and I had it by two hands. I wasn't thinking at that moment, wow, I need a new pair of shoes. I wasn't thinking, you know what, I'm hungry. I wish I had a hamburger. All I could think about was this big snake trying to <laughs> eat my face off, okay? You're at this moment. There's some times when you are in certain situations that you've put yourself there because you've been unbiblical that you need to get out of there. You need to get out of there. Let me give you an example. Let's say that a friend, you know, you're, you, you know, you're going out with your friends. He's 17 or 18 years old. And they say, hey, we're going to go over to a friend's house. You say, well, do I know him? No, but he's, he's a cool guy. Okay. And you go in and they're all drinking or doing drugs, what do you do? You don't think, oh, I don't, I, I need to stay here because I don't want to be offensive. No, if you have to knock the door down, if you have to jump out a window, you get out of there. You're in a dangerous, dangerous place. Give no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Get out. Now, lastly, in verse 5, 
It says, deliver yourself. Now notice, in verse 3, he said, deliver yourself. D you get the idea? Get out of here. Get out of here. And the deliver yourself is a, there's an urgency, even in the terminology that he uses. So um, imagine that you, you fell into a fire. Would you just kind of uh, roll over and think about getting out? You wouldn't. I mean, the moment those flames hit you, you'd be clawing, scratching everything you had to do to get out of there. That's the idea. Jump out of there. I mean, the moment you realize you are in danger, walk on water, do whatever you have to do, but get out of there. Okay? Now, there's a general principle as we close that you often get in this situation because you do not investigate you do not compare what's going on with the scriptures. You do not get counsel from biblical people who will tell you something you don't want to hear. You get yourself in a situation. Well, when you're in that situation, humble yourself. Humble yourself and then get out of there. Do whatever it takes without violating scripture. Do whatever it takes to get out of there. But now let me share something with you. There are some times and you can't get out of there. And that ought to cause fear into your heart. There are some situations you better not get into. I saw a documentary the other night where this rather uh, intimidating looking spider climbed into one of those uh, insect eating plants. And I mean, when that door closed on that spider, the spider was rather large. There was nothing he could do. It's over, game over. There are certain situations in life where it's game over. So live and learn? I don't think so. Learn from Scripture and then live. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray, dear God, please use it in the heart of every young person who will listen, watch this video. Oh God that they first of all come to know Christ because what does wisdom matter if they do not have the word of wisdom, Jesus Christ, if they do not have his death? So, oh God, that they would trust in Christ, but then, Lord, that they would walk pristinely according to your commands, your law, your precepts. Father, help the children and help their parents to be examples. Lord, it's so hard. Give us grace. In Jesus' name, amen.